the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Harbaugh. The word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program, and now you know that Friday the 13th isn't bad luck at all, because we get to spend the next hour together. Hi, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and every weekday at 4 o'clock, we do this radio program called The Word to Stand On for Life. It's a program dedicated to taking your phone calls so that we can answer your Bible questions, uh, questions about anything that God puts on your heart, uh, what the Bible says, what it means, how we can apply it in the day-to-day circumstances that we face. Uh, we'd love to have your live calls and questions. 340-9585 for your live calls. That's 340-9585. You can also call us toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. Numerically, that's 630-5757. You can email us your question by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. You can also use our free mobile app, uh, our Calvary San Antonio free mobile app. But KSLR has also graciously provided their app, which frankly makes it much simpler to send in your questions by just hitting the banner, the word to stand up for life, and you'll be connected to our studio if you have a question. And that way you can drive and talk and answer questions or have questions answered at the same time. Today, being Friday, we have our New Testament Bible study tonight, Colossians chapter 1. We're actually, uh, this weekend in the second study in both Colossians and Romans, we're in Romans chapter 1 on Sunday. I'm going to do just the first 13 verses on uh, Sunday for Romans. Um, I told Paula this morning, she was reading it to me, this is the last kind of light study in Romans until the book is over. The rest of it's really, really important, but also at some points, really, really difficult as well. So I'm excited to see what the Lord is going to do. But tonight, Colossians, 7 o'clock here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. You can also watch it live stream at calvarysa.com. Now, having said that, let me also tell you, for those of you who are visiting our website, and we have a whole bunch of people doing it, uh, our new website went up today. Uh, it's the same address, calvarysa.com, but it's been completely reconstructed. We hope it's a little bit easier to navigate, a little less busy. You just go to the website and start scrolling down, uh, and it seems to go very, very easily. I'm not a techie guy, so if my techie guys are happy with it, I'm happy with it. We hope it's easy, and we hope that it's a blessing. There is a lot, a lot uh, in terms of resources that uh, is available for you. Uh, one final thing before we go to the questions. Uh, because Monday is a holiday, Martin Luther King Day, there will be no live show. We'll be doing a rebroadcast, uh, giving our producers a break, a day off on Martin Luther King Day coming up on Monday. If I can remember, I'll remind you one more time at the end of the program. Okay, 340 uh, our first question comes from Jesse, and he or she, we have a Jesse uh, who is a female, so I'm not sure. But the question is, in Matthew 16, 18, 
is Jesus saying Peter is the foundation for the church? Now, here's what Matthew 16, 18 says. Jesus is speaking, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, or the Anavises will not overcome it. Now, a couple of things that we need to remember here. Uh, Jesus is asking his disciples in this exchange, and that's why we always, always look at the context, Jesse. Peter is asking his disciples, uh, who do people say that I am? And he's using this as a teaching opportunity. Well, some say Jeremiah, some say John the Baptist, some say you're the one. And Jesus turns around, and, and I'm sure he didn't do it this way, but this is the way I always imagine it, Jesse. He points a finger at his disciples. And says, yeah, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, of course, spoke up for the group. And he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded to Peter by saying, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. Because this hasn't been revealed to you by man, but this has been revealed to you by my father in heaven. And then Jesus makes this statement, I tell you that you are Peter. Now, there's an interesting play on words. Peter is a word in Greek that if you translate it means stone, a little tiny pebble. But then when he says on this rock, the word is a huge, huge rock, a a, a massive stone. And on that rock, I'll build my church. Now, what's the rock? Certainly not Peter. And I know we live in a Catholic culture, but but one needs only to honestly look at the original language. That's why we're told to study, to show ourselves approves, work men, and I would add work women, rightly dividing the word of God. The massive rock is Peter's statement of faith. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And that's the rock. That's this massive foundation that God is going to build his church upon. So very, very important we understand it's not a person. You know, I had my, my 10-year-olds in the office, uh, this one, 110 and 111. I know that'll upset him if I don't say he's 11. But they were in, I said, okay, explain to me why Peter isn't the foundation for the church. And one of them, Jaden, said, well, it's because that Peter is just setting an example for us. And the example is to believe in Jesus. And I said, see? An 11-year-old gets it perfectly. That was a really good answer. So, Jesse, Peter's not the foundation for the church. It's his proclamation of who Jesus is. And make no mistake, everybody in this audience, make no mistake, Jesus is the rock. Jesus is the foundation. Knowing him is the key to everything. And since we're a part of his church and he's the head of the church, we need to learn exactly that he alone is is the rock. So I hope that helps, Jesse. Thank you for asking the question. Uh, here is a question from our email inbox from Lynn. She says, I'm a Christian and have been for years, though with far too many ups and downs. I'm following the Lord. However, I'm unsure of something. My in-laws live with us, and that's fine. However, I do not want extended visits every day. I see my own mom, who lives in the city about two times a month, plus phone calls. Am I being a jerk? Lynn, God bless you for being honest. I really appreciate that. Now, I I had a couple of people look at this question because I want to be sure that I wasn't interpreting it wrong. I think what Lynn is saying here is that, you know, my in-laws live with me. I can deal with that. But there's just too much in-law time. I need some privacy. I need some alone time. I don't even spend that much time with my mom, my own mom. I don't think you're being a jerk at all, Lynn. I think when you have people who live in your home, you have to set boundaries. And I'm talking about honest boundaries. I'm not talking about psychological boundaries. I'm just telling that what we need to do is be upfront with people about how much time we need to ourselves, time with the Lord. And I think this is a great opportunity to witness that you don't say whether your in-laws are believers or not, but, but whether they are or not, if you would explain to them, you know, I need some quiet time with Jesus. And my days alone, when I'm doing stuff around the house or my time in Bible study or my time in prayer, it just doesn't work for me when you want to talk all the time. I love talking to you. You're my family, and we we love having you here, and you'll always be welcome. But 
please respect the time that I need with Jesus. And that is a great witness, Lynn. It really is. So uh, you you alone know your heart. You and Jesus know your heart. Uh, Don't get frustrated, uh, especially if they're not believers. It's an opportunity for them to see your faith in action and benefit from it. And if they'll do that, Lynn, then um, who knows? Maybe the Lord will use your witness to win them to his family. But I don't think you're being a jerk at all. You know what? We have to protect our time. The Apostle Paul says that we're to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. It's pretty easy for us to understand sin and the need to throw it off. But sometimes it's a little harder to identify the entanglements. And there are people that get in the way. So we've got to protect our time with the Lord. Don't be so protective of just your time, just to be doing things that don't really focus on Jesus. But remember, protect your time with Him. Be filled with the Spirit. Let's be with Jesus. And when they're around, you will be gracious, you will be kind, you will demonstrate all of the fruits of the Spirit. And believe me, the Lord will be pleased. So I hope that answers your question, Lynn, and I hope I interpreted it correctly. 340-9585. Here is a question from Paul. Uh, He says, is the story of Lazarus and the rich men a parable, or is it a true story? Uh, Paul, it's a true story. It's Luke chapter 16. And uh, the reason we know it's a two, we, we know it's not a parable. One, Jesus didn't identify this parable. Uh, I don't like arguments from silence, but there's a clue inside the story. And the story, of course, includes names. That's the clue. There are no parables which Jesus actually names real people, even when there are people um, figuratively inside the parable. So this, by definition, then, becomes a true story. Uh, Lazarus was a poor man, a beggar, uh, a rich man that that, uh, he begged from. They died on the same day. You guys know the story. The value of this story, being real, is twofold. One, uh, I use this story every time I do a funeral, and I'm not sure of the eternal destination of the person who died. Uh, I can hope they're a Christian, um, or maybe I know they weren't. But here's what I can say to the people using this real story. I can say that you're all gathered here today because you have one thing in common, your love for this man or for this woman. And what I'm going to do is share with you what they would share if they could be here. And my authority for that is Luke chapter 16. So, Paul, it's a true story, not a parable. And it's a very, very powerful witnessing tool. Uh, the rich man is in hell being tormented in the place of, of darkness. Uh, Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom, or paradise it was called. Uh, and they're aware of one another. They can see uh, one. Uh, uh, the rich man says, I'm in torment in this fire. Uh, let, let Lazarus come and, and just dip my tongue with a little bit of water or something. And Father Abraham says, no, we can't do that. You can't come to us, nor can he come to you. In other words, it's too late. You made your choice. And the rich man in torment says, well, at least send him to tell my family. And the message is that Jesus is real. Jesus is real, and you need to believe in him or you're going to end up in this torment like I am. So I call that a message from the grave and beyond, and I do that without saying your loved one is now burning in hell. What I would say is something along the lines, you know, we don't know what the condition of of this person was spiritually. But if he or she was not born again, this is exactly what they would say to you. And we give people an opportunity to accept Jesus Christ in the course of a funeral. So I hope that answers your question. Here is a question from Lewis uh, from our email inbox. He wants to know, Pastor Ron, are you familiar with the book Silence, which has now been turned into a movie and is currently in theaters? If so, is this a book or a movie mocking missionaries and God remaining silent while Christians are tortured and become martyrs? I haven't actually read the book nor seen the movie, but I've read a detailed plot summary in an attempt to pique my interest and I'm a little confused at the point 
the author is trying to make. I have no interest if it's mocking God in any way. Uh, Lewis, I, I have not seen the movie, nor have I read the book. Um, I was interested in the movie, so I did some research on it. I, I was um, I told it was uh, what the subject matter was. Uh, I don't go to R-rated movies, so I couldn't see it. But um, uh, it doesn't appear to be a, a movie that's mocking God in any way. It's not mocking missionaries. Um, you know, uh, the, the point is not that God is silent uh, while Christians are tortured. I think the point seems to be more focused on that that suffering is a part of life. And God alone understands our suffering. Now, uh, there, there's all kinds of doctrinal and theological issues with the movie because the movie is about a Jesuit priest, a, a Catholic tradition. And of course, the Catholic doctrine um, is messed up. So so as far as Christians are, this isn't a, a movie where um, you're going to be able to go and, and there's a message about the need to be born again. That's not the perspective it's coming from. Um, I was interested because Martin Scorsese is the uh, director, uh, the producer of the movie. And, you know, he's never, uh, he, he's not been involved in any movie I've been able to see at all since I've been saved, uh, just because of the subject matter and the language in it, taking God's name in vain. Um, but I was interested to read that, that Scorsese says, claims to be a devout Catholic, and yet he does all these horrible things. The, the, I, I shouldn't say that he does all these horrible things. He makes these movies that are so ungodly. Uh, and so I was interested um, and I think the point of the movie, the point of the book, and he's just taking the book and turning it into a movie, but I think the point of the book is that suffering uh, is part of the world that we live in, and that God is always there, uh, even though he may seem to be silent when we're suffering, he's always there. And I would add one thing that I have no way of knowing whether the movie points out clearly or the book points out clearly or not. I want everybody in the audience to know that Jesus is the only one that truly understands your suffering. He's the only one that truly understands your pain. He's the only one, at least it will seem so to you, who suffered or been in more pain than you are in when you're going through something really difficult. When your heart is broken, when you're grieving at the loss of a loved one, Jesus gets it. Jesus alone gets it. And I think what we need to do is have a little bit more mature perspective of suffering than just, why does God let these things happen? And why doesn't God fix these things? Instead, we need to realize that Jesus gets it. And then we run to him. And when we run to him, we find that his grace is sufficient. I know I used this example in another question yesterday. But every one of us who's hurting, every one of us who's suffering, we need to remember what Jesus told the Apostle Paul. When Paul begged him three times, a messenger from Satan had been permitted to buffet. Paul would call it the thorn in the flesh. We don't know what it was. We just know it was physical. We know it was excruciatingly painful. And Jesus said, no. And Jesus had a purpose for Paul in the suffering. In his case, it was to keep him from being conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations he'd had. It was sort of a tool that God used to humble Paul or to keep him humble. But just when Paul wanted to get rid of it, Jesus said, I'm enough for you. And one of the things God wants all of us to learn in any trial, in any pain, I'm sorry for the silence there, whether it was physical or otherwise, he wants us to learn that he's enough. I know when I'm hurting or when I'm in pain, I want him to take it away. I also know he doesn't usually. I think many of you know, if you're not a brand new listener to the program, I'm visually impaired. I haven't driven a car probably in 17 or 18 years. I lose track of the time. Paul has to drive me everywhere. I hate being such a pain in the neck. Um, and so many people are praying for me for all these years for my vision to be restored. 
And yet over and over and over, the Lord has told me His grace is sufficient. It's not a lack of faith. I just don't believe that God's plan is to heal my eyes. My choice is to decide whether I'm okay with that. I don't have to know what his purpose is. All I have to know is that he gets it. He gets it. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, My next question comes from Nelson. Nelson says, I don't understand original sin. If Adam's sin condemns me, how can God blame me when I sin? Well, Nelson, I'm just getting started in the book of Romans, and Paul devotes quite a bit of space to that very question. Original sin simply means that we're all born with a sin nature. We're going to sin. Adam, being the first human, is the federal head of all mankind. Everyone who has ever lived forever and ever, well, Adam is our representative. He was the first Adam. Jesus, Paul says, was the second Adam. The first Adam sinned and brought death. The second Adam was righteous and brings life. So that's what original sin is. Now, the question, and I've gotten this question in other ways over the years, well, if I don't have any choice but to sin, then how can God blame me when I sin? If I'm a sinner, that's what sinners do. Sinners sin, so it's not my fault. But here's the thing, Nelson, that you have to understand. You will never stand before God and be judged for Adam's sin. Jesus was judged for Adam's sin. If you're a believer, Jesus was judged for your sin. You want to talk about unfair? You have the choice to sin. Once again, let me mention my 10-year-old and 11-year-old kids that come in here to pray for me. I asked them when I was talking to them about this question. So, when you sin, when you do something bad, is it your fault or is it Adam's fault? And both of them looked down and said, it's my fault. Kids get it. I don't know why adults don't. We're born into sin. We have a sin nature. That's why it was just so important that Jesus was born of a virgin, that God was his father. He didn't inherit the sin nature. Unfortunately, you and I did. That's why John, uh, in, or Jesus tells in John chapter 3, uh, Nicodemus, that we're condemned already. When we come into this world as babies, we're condemned. Why? Because our sin nature causes us to sin. But we've been delivered from sin. We've been delivered from the control of sin. We've been delivered from the consequences of sin, and and I mean eternal consequences. So when we sin, it's because we choose to. Not because we have to. Not because Adam forced us to. So Nelson, what we've got to do is accept personal responsibility for the choices you make. And I don't want to infer that your question suggests that you think God is being unfair. But if you do, if there's any hint of that, then the quickest thing you need to do is repent and ask Jesus Christ into your heart. Original sin is simple. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Another man came who happened to be God, his name was Jesus. And he delivered us from sin and death. And he offers us life. It's a free gift, but like any gift, it has to be received. So Nelson, if you would ask for for forgiveness, if you'd ask Jesus to come live in your heart, then you'd no longer be controlled by sin. One final thought, and then we're getting ready to have our break. We'd love your live calls and questions at 340-9585. The final thought is this. Truth is, we like to sin. Jesus said to be his disciple. We have to say no to what we like. 
so that we can say yes to what he wants for us. And we've just got to decide that sin is destructive, it separates us from God, and we have to learn to hate our sin with a vengeance, with a passion. Not just hate the sin of other people, not just hate the condition of the world caused by sin, but we've got as Christians, we've got to hate our sin, and nobody gets saved until they're done with sin. Nobody gets saved until they're really ready to say, I've messed everything up, Lord. Forgive me and give me new life. And Nelson, it's the thing that he wants to do. So original sin is not that hard to understand. We sin because we like it, because we choose it. Hey, you're listening to the Friday edition of The Word to Stand On for Life. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. It's 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Back in two minutes. Recording. Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of the program, the last 30 minutes of the week, 340-9585. Sometimes on Fridays, the phones are really, really quiet, but we hope that we're encouraging you in some fashion or form. My first question comes from Victor. First question this half comes from Victor. Pastor Ron, do you believe Jesus is coming soon? I don't understand why he waits so long. Victor, I hope so. Now, I do understand why he's waiting, but I hope he's coming soon. Now, you know, sometimes when we Christians say that, other people say, oh, you guys are too heavenly minded to be any earthly good at all. First of all, you can't be too heavenly minded. In fact, I'll go one step further. If you're not heavenly minded, you're not any earthly good, period. But nobody knows when he's coming back. But we should long to see him. You know, Paula sometimes goes away. She'll be out speaking somewhere and she'll be gone for three or four days or she'll go to a women's retreat or she'll just be doing something. And, and, and you know, when she leaves, I'm thinking, well, you know, it'll be good. I'll get some time. I can just rest. I can spend some time with the Lord, have some quiet and all that kind of thing. And you know what? I love that first hour she's gone. But after that, I want her to come back. I can't wait to see her. I'm like a kid when she comes back. Paula, you're home. Well, how much more should we long for the return of Jesus? It's not some spiritual attitude that says, oh, I just want to get out of this world at all. It's we want to be with him. We want him to look us in the eye. We want him to call us by our new name. We want to see him in all of his glory, in all of his beauty. Who wouldn't want that? Yes, this world is difficult. Yes, this world is filled with pain. And yes, when he comes, we will be in a place where there's no more pain, no more tears, no more injustice. But make no mistake, the reason we want to see Jesus is because of him. So do I think he's coming soon? I hope so. But I don't know. Nobody does. I think we're in the last days. The Bible tells us we are. I hope, Victor, that we're in the last of the last days. But there's no way to know. So what should our response be? Well, Paul tells us what our response should be in Philippians chapter 1. He says, If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. And every time I read this, I think there was like a pause when the Lord was speaking to Paul's heart as he was dictating this letter. And after that pause, he says, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in this body. In other words, there's still work for you to do, Paul. So what should our response be? Long for heaven, long to be with Jesus. But at the same time, uses, using Jesus' words, occupy until he comes. In other words, be about our Father's business. 
I know beyond any doubt that being with Jesus is better, infinitely better than anything we can imagine. I know that being with Jesus is better by far than the very best this world has to offer. And so I want to be with him, but until I am actually with him physically, then there's work to do. And the work that we do here brings him honor and glory. So, Victor, that's why he's waiting. We know from Second Peter that God isn't slow. Instead, he's patient, unwilling that any should perish. And so the reason he's waiting so long is because he wants to save more people. You know, tonight here at Calvary Chapel, and any of you who are having Friday night services, or maybe some of you are going out and sharing Jesus with friends that you've been praying for, it could happen, Victor, that tonight the last person gets saved. There's a finite number of people, Romans tells us that, finite number of Gentiles, non-Jews, who are going to be saved. When that number is reached, we're out of here. What if it was tonight? What if tonight you come to church and you invite somebody you've been praying for to receive Christ? And maybe it's here at Calvary Chapel there listening to me teach Colossians chapter 1. I'm only going to do three verses, seven, eight, nine, two, four verses. And maybe they hear it and the Spirit of God knocks on the door of their heart and at the end of the service, when an invitation is given, that man or that woman says, I want Jesus. Doesn't even have to come up. I mean, just, I want Jesus. Yes, Lord. And suddenly we're all out of here. Wouldn't that be wonderful? What well, could happen tonight? It could take another year. It could take another hundred years. You know what? Don't hate me for saying this. It could take another 2,000 years. Who knows? Only God does. So, Victor, hang in there and do the work. 340-9585. This is an anonymous question. It says, Pastor Ron, if someone denies the Trinity, are they really a Christian? Uh, let me answer that in two ways. First, it's almost impossible to believe in and understand the Trinity when you first come to Christ. I don't know anybody who's ever, the moment they were saved, understood that God is one, but he is three, Father, Son, and Spirit. Uh, so it's possible to be not believe, not to understand the Trinity. But I think the key word in your question, Anonymous, is denies. If someone denies the Trinity, they can't be a Christian. It's an essential of our faith. And because it's an essential of our faith, we have to have the right Jesus. And so somebody says, well, I just believe in Jesus. And there is a whole group of people that claim to be Christians who just believe in Jesus, don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Father. Jesus is the Holy Spirit. Jesus is the Son. Others who believe only in God, sort of generally, the big man upstairs. But to be saved, you have to have the right Jesus. And until you have the right Jesus, you're not saved. The right Jesus is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you can come to believe after you're saved and the Spirit sort of illuminates the person of Jesus Christ into your heart. But as you grow, you understand that the Holy Spirit is Jesus' promise to the church living in us, and he is fully God. So the denier, the active denier, anonymous, is not really a believer so keep sharing with them the truth. Let's go to San Marcos now and talk with Jim. Jim, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, my pleasure. The topic in, in my life, um, off and on for years, has, has been anger. Um, and as I, after I was born again in 2008, the, the anger grew. The anger episodes grew less frequent and less um, severe. But I still am not 100% 
anger free. And when I say anger, I mean uh, just argumentative. I'm a public school teacher, so you can imagine the situations I get into with other adults. And uh, as a believer, I get frustrated with it, and I, I stuff it, stuff it, stuff it, talk about it, pray about it, do all these things. But then, you know, I can be 99.9% really good and then lose it one time and waving my arms or whatever, and then I'm the bad guy. You know what I mean? And I get to try to justify the anger saying Jesus got angry, but that's, that's I need to be better than that. I, I can't be flipping tables over, you know what I mean? You know, Jim, I, I always tell people that Jesus' anger was righteous anger. I don't think ours usually is. And and so I understand, and I've had people say that the very thing to me when I've said, look, you've got a contorian. Well, Jesus was angry, and I want to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's, a, there's an infinite difference between the righteousness of his mm-hmm. anger and the unrighteousness of ours. Uh, Jim, I think I can help. I hope so, and I appreciate your heart so much. Uh, you're at that place in your walk with the Lord now where you hate your sin. And that's when right. God can deal with it. When you hate it, when you're embarrassed by it, when it when it, it brings you shame because you're you're reflecting poorly on the Lord that people know you believe in, the, the Lord that you share with others. Mm-hmm. So here's here's the way that we have to deal with this. One, um, perfection is something that we aim for, and yet we won't mm-hmm. achieve it until we're with Jesus. So we aim for perfection. Mm-hmm. And as you hate your sin, you, you get to this place where you say, Lord, these things come out of my mouth because they're in my heart. So cleanse my heart. Mm-hmm. And then, Lord, before it ever gets to my, my mind and, and then to my mouth, help me to check it. And the way you do that, Jim, is to identify the difference between being controlled by the spirit and being controlled by your flesh. Now, most of us, especially in this area of anger, we know what it feels like when we start to get angry. And so what we need to do is learn to avoid the stimulus. And there's just conversations that you need to avoid because you know uh, typically where they lead. And if they lead there, you're going to bring shame to the Lord. You don't want to do that. So it's better sometimes just to walk away. It's better sometimes just to say, you know what, rather than, 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 than say something that I'm going to have to really repent of, I'm just going to take a walk and be with Jesus. Now, if there are people in your lives that are pushing those buttons, then those are the things that you have to avoid. You know, the Bible says, Paul tells us to take every thought captive and make it obedient. So two things to identify. First, it's not, an ang- it's not a sin to have angry thoughts. We're, we're humans, we're emotional, that's our flesh. But it's what we do with those thoughts. In your anger, Paul tells Ephesians, do not sin. So when you get to that place where you're starting to get angry and you're approaching that line of danger, that's when you walk away. And you identify it very clearly as the flesh, and you say no. Galatians chapter 5 is the place that you want to go. Beginning in verse 22, it identifies all of the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, and self-control. When you're exercising those traits, those characteristics, you know it's the Spirit of God who's leading and guiding. It's the Spirit of God who's in control. If you go up a couple of verses, beginning in verse 19, and you read that other list, I call it the the list of the bad fruit of the flesh, then the, the, the thing to do instantly is to identify it as sin and just refuse to go there. You have the power that raised Christ from the dead living in you. You have the ability to control your anger so that you do not sin. Um, Sin, Paul says in the book of Romans, shall no longer be your master. So just by faith, exercise control by the power of the Spirit over that which formerly controlled you. And, And every time you blow it, catch it instantly. Keep asking God to to, to bring it to your awareness even more quickly. Repent completely and quickly. And here's something that's very important. When you're talking to somebody else who is the object of your anger, whether it's an issue or something they've done in your life, um, apologize to them. And honestly, Jim, the truth is that we're going to get so tired of apologizing and so tired of repenting. God, I blew it again that God will work in us. You can't defeat this, but he already has. And that that line of demarcation, that, that understanding is very important. Just don't give in to your flesh. And when you do, we have an advocate with the Father. 1 John 1, 9 tells us if we confess our sins, that's to agree with him that it's sin. 
a lot of times when we're angry, well, I wasn't going to sin, but he made me angry or she made me angry. No, it's just sin, Lord, and I'm sorry. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to purify you from all unrighteousness. And you can walk with the Lord. But it's something that you're going to have to fight every single day. Uh, It sounds like you're doing a pretty good job of it. But don't expect perfection unless you're surrendered to the one who is perfect. One final thought. You've got to spend time with Jesus in his presence. You're not going to explode in anger. It's when you send Jesus away a little bit and you hang out with you, that's when you're going to find yourself angry. And it's, it's going to be easier and easier to identify those times when you blow it. Does that help at all? It helps uh, tremendously, and I'm wondering now that uh, I assume you have an archive of your show because I want to go back and re-listen to what you just said. I wrote down a bunch of it, but it's a okay. lot of stuff I already knew. But it, uh, the spending time with Jesus and being filled, refilled and refilled with the Spirit, um, pray without ceasing, you know, just all, all the time, not every second, but all the time, and be be filled. And that, that's that's how I do good. That's how I have these long stretches of being really good. But it, yep. like I said, it just takes the one time to be to, to give Jesus a black eye is the way I describe it. And I do not want to do that anymore. I'm tired of it. You yeah. know? And, and that, that's a heart that, that God will really honor, Jim. But, but remember that when you blow it, the enemy's going to try to condemn you. So one other thing that you can do is understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation drives you in shame and embarrassment away from the Lord. That's when the devil's got his thumb on you and he's pushing and and, and pounding. But conviction draws you to Jesus. And when you're convicted of sin and you say, God, forgive me, then I'm going to ask you, Jim, to accept his forgiveness and enjoy it. Don't beat yourself up over and over and over. Learn to enjoy his presence. Enjoy the fact that he loves you so much that he's eager to forgive you. And and when he forgives you, all unrighteousness is gone. You have perfect right standing with the Lord. And he's never surprised when we blow it. We might get surprised and we might be ashamed. But all he wants to do is get on with the business of being back with him so that our fellowship with him is sweet. Jim, we do have an archive of this. It will probably be on our website um, probably tomorrow or maybe maybe Monday. Uh, but KSLR, I think, does as well. So uh, you can find it at uh, calvarysa.com. And God bless you. I'll be praying for you, Jim. Thank you, brother. Bye-bye. Uh-huh. Thank you. Let's go to Village, Texas. Nope, she's not there. Gina. Gina, you're Hello. on the air. Hi, Gina. Hi. I've got I you down here, Gina. From, okay, I've got you down here. It's from Village, Texas. Is that where you're from? No, Billings. Okay. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> How can I help you, Gina? Hi. I actually had a question for you. Um, I do a lot of people watching at my work, um, as well as my work, and um, I noticed that a lot of times people are drawn to each other for unexplainable reasons. And my question is, is um, is it possible that um, God sees that as a soul tie? Or can you explain the definition of soul tie? Yeah, I can, Gina, and I hope I'm not upsetting you with my answer, but there's really no such thing. Uh, That's a a charismatic, nonsensical thing. Now, again, when I use that term, charismatic nonsense, we're charismatic in our beliefs, but the gifts of the Spirit make sense, and they're practiced decently and with order. So the idea of soul ties sells a lot of books, and it peaks a lot of hearts, you know, God is one person in the world for you. And I've seen this this erroneous teaching on soul ties um, um, used and abused uh, to where people would leave their husbands or their wives because this is my true soulmate, this is the one God has, and, and the enemy gets involved and you can't change. There's no such thing as a soul tie. God has one person for someone But it's not because God said, okay, I choose him and I choose her. I'm going to put them together. And that's your soulmate. That's not at all what it is. God knows everything. God knows everything. For example, Gina, God knew that that Paula was going to open a door uh, 46 years ago. And the minute we laid eyes on each other from a foot away, we were going to be in love. He knew that. Did he cause that? No. In fact, neither one of us belonged to God at the time. And we were certainly engaged uh, in short order in sinful activity. So uh, it wasn't that, that God 
orchestrated it. It's just that God used it. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. So there's no such thing as a soul tie. Um, what we need to do is sort of despiritualize attraction. You know, when, when you see somebody that you're attracted to, um, uh, it, it's not because God has done something. It's just that's who we are. It's amazing to me how two people can look at the same person. One says, oh, well, he's not attractive. And the other person says, oh, he's hot. You know, it's just we have our own different likes and dislikes, our own different perspectives. The whole point of this, Gina, is that when you're involved with somebody in a marriage, that's your soulmate. That's the one, the only one that you can honor the Lord with your helper, the one that you can't do the work that God's called you to do without. Now, Gina, like you, I'm, I'm a people watcher. I, I watch closely. I watch expressions. I watch things. Um, you know, people are attracted to, to others for lots of different reasons. And, and, and I would say, conversely, not attracted for a lot of different reasons as well. But uh, what God does is he knows who we're going to end up with. But the one you're with now, as a Christian, if you're married, that's your soulmate. And when we realize that, and when we honor God in that relationship, then he can be, um, he can do anything with us and through us and for us. Uh, on the other hand, if you're single and you're waiting for that person to come in your life, uh, I believe that when you see him or when, uh, when it's a, 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 a man looking for a woman and he sees her, uh, I think that attraction will be there. God wants you to be physically attracted. He wants you to be uh, attracted in terms of the things that, that you share common interests in. Um, I certainly know he wants us to be attracted to the same type of relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, but, but obviously we know people that never know God don't want anything to do with God who also are attracted. God will use that. That's what happened with me and Paula and, and uh, all those years later, I finally got saved after Paula prayed for me for 13 years and we've tried to bring God honor and glory in the process. So, Gene, I hope that helps. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Okay. God bless. Um, you know, after the years we've been doing this program, I think four and a half years and, and uh, we did a 30-minute program for a year prior to that, um, it's, it's amazing to me how bad teaching sticks. It just never seems to go away. Just something that, that clicked, uh, generational curses, soul ties, all this nonsense. And false teachers can make so much money peddling to those false teachings. It's really important. And I bring that up because I'm teaching Colossians, as you already know, on Friday nights. And since we just got started last time, I did just the introduction, the first six verses, and we're going to go very slowly through this book. The whole point of this book, uh, with all of this marvelous doctrinal truth included in it, the whole point of the book is to combat false teaching. And we who are believers, we need to know our Bibles. We truly need to know our Bibles. So I'm going to take that thought to the end of the program today. Invest in your Bibles. You know, we pay money when we buy them, but, but then we don't get a return on the investment because we don't really dig in. You can't be tricked by false teaching if you know what the Word says. You can't be derailed. Paul, when he's writing to the Galatians over the idea of, of uh, legalism and Judaism, he, he's saying, oh, foolish Galatians, you were running a good race. Who cut in on you? And the fact is that we're all, and I know this isn't a word, but cut inable on if we're not students of the word. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. You've got to know it. You've got to love it. And God's word will protect you from being tricked or trapped into these pursuits of things that don't exist. I'll bet in our years here on the radio program, I've had a hundred calls about generational curses. And generational curses have as much reality as pink elephants. They don't exist. And yet they've caused so much pain. Soul ties is another one. Prosperity teaching. God wants you to be rich. 
name it and claim it. All you got to do is claim your healing and God has to heal you. And the damage done by these false teachings is overwhelming. And you know, it's never the false teachers that clean up the mess. It's always the body of Christ, the faithful men and women who love God's word. And the good news is we have the answers. But you can protect yourself. So please, please, please love your Bibles. On our teaching programs, May will say at the end, as she signs off, fall in love with the Bible and you will fall in love with Jesus. We promise. And I reiterate that promise. Well, thanks for tuning in this week. It's been a great week. I appreciate the the questions. appreciate the phone calls. Uh, we'll be rebroadcasting our show on Monday. In other words, it won't be live uh, because of Martin Luther King Day. We'll be back live on Tuesday, Lord willing, for your phone calls and questions. In the meantime, wherever you go to church, make yourself available to God to be used for the lost, the hurting, the hungry, the broken, the needy, and the confused. They're going to be in church with you on Sunday. God bless you. Lord willing, we'll be back and see you live on Tuesday. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapels, the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.